the start of every September, the minister's usually fresher than he is the rest of the year. And I think if we look back over the uh, 10 years we've been here, um, the start of the year, I've usually, and even in the last few where we've been following the, uh, the revised lectionary, um, I have maybe looked at uh, a little series that probably has um, grown uh, within me over the period of the summer. Um, but also that kind of I'm trying to set us on a journey and a direction for the year ahead. So this next couple of months, and maybe even to Christmas, why would you stop Emmanuel um, in the middle of November, um, we'll be trying to do those different things. It's going to try and be a series that will really be hopefully a challenge to us. Uh, It's been a challenge to me. Um, We'll hopefully teach us some things, um, but we'll also give us the character of Fitzroy and maybe where... Uh, session and Fitzroy are at the moment and maybe want to journey too. So there'll be some practicality in it. There'll uh, be some teaching in it and hopefully some encouragement and inspiration as well. It starts and this is the introductory. So the introduction, uh, you're going to find me bringing a lot of stuff from the last three years together in the one sermon, but who would I be to have an ego? (coughs) excuse me, to think that you would remember anything I've said over the last three years. So you can repeat yourself, I think, as a minister and imagine some of you might not even have been there the day I did the sermon that mentioned this or that. But it starts in 2016 and I seamlessly move into it again at the Otterson wedding yesterday because uh, Joe Kyle's wife works for the British Missionary Society, or the Baptist Missionary Society, BMS. And in November 2016, I was honoured to be one of the speakers at their uh, biannual conference. When I say speaker, <clears throat> I was the poet in residence. The English and the Scottish love my poetry. Nobody here has any interest or any care for it. And <clears throat> that's perfectly all right. Um, and I'm very fortunate that my biggest poetry fan is a guy that works for the BMS. So I get these gigs out of the blue completely that I'm really saying to him, are you sure it's me you want and not Padre Gotuma? But anyway, um, I was doing the poetry, and it's a wonderful event because you do it in two different places, your own tour for 48 hours, and uh, and all the speakers eat together, and we stay together, and we bus together, and eat at crummy uh, motorway service stations together. Um, Sam Wells spoke at that uh, conference, and darn it, he only did one session and wasn't with us for the rest of the time. How I would have loved that. He appeared in the second uh, event in Reading, and you're aware, Reverend Sam Wells, um, St. Martin of the Fields in London, um, Duke University, uh, I think that's in North Carolina, and he's written these um, interesting, fascinating, challenging uh, books about incarnation. And he had 10 minutes, because that's all all of us had during the day, although I was fortunate, and the poet, the poet got 10 minutes one place and seven minutes somewhere later. Um, just so that people could switch off, I think, for 10 minutes or seven minutes and get ready for the next speaker. But um, Sam really got me that day. But it's been three years in taking me on a journey with what he said. And I've spent the summer reading not one or two, but trying to delve into three of his books on the 10 minutes that he gave. Now, I've told you the story before. The English Patient is the movie that he took the illustration from. If you've seen The English Patient, you will know. If you haven't seen The English Patient, you've heard me illustrate it so many times that you think you've seen it. Um, There's a couple there called Jeffrey and Catherine, 
Catherine's having an affair with Almsey. Geoffrey tries to kill uh, Almsey, but instead of that, kills himself and very seriously um, injures his wife in a plane crash that he's trying to target Almsey on. And then what happens is that um, Catherine is very seriously ill, and Geoffrey, who loves her passionately, puts her in a cave because it's set um, in the deserts of Egypt, I think, or somewhere around there, puts her in a cave and goes to Cairo, the four-day journey, to get help for her. And the four-day journey there, the four-day journey back, she dies. And so what Samuel's asked in this talk, a 10-minute talk, he asked the question, should, she, should Jeffrey have gone to get his beloved fixed? Or should he have stayed with her? Was fixing as important as being with, he asked. And then he talked about the church and the number of committees we have that spend endless hours and money working out how we can fix while there's a world in isolation and loneliness with nobody being with. He then looked at the life of Jesus and suggested that Jesus, 33 years on earth, 90% of God's time in a tent among us, he did no fixing. He was just with. And Wells asks, well, what was that about? Why did God choose 33 years? I've always said, if you want to do the emotional hit, on his way as a refugee to Egypt, if the Lamb of God had been sacrificed as a baby, my goodness, what would the emotional impact of that be? But it's very obvious from the gospel and from 33 years that God had more intentions than just that one week in Jerusalem. There was going to be 30 years where he would just be with. Then there would be three years when he would work with, but actually on most of those occasions, he's being with. And there's 10, 1% of God's life on earth where he goes about fixing us. This was a deep challenge to me, and so I eventually sought out, um, I think I only discovered by chance, um, one of Wells's books, the most recent one, Incarnational Mission. And of course, that interests me in the Uganda thing and in uh, the stuff we do in the neighborhood here. What would that look like in the light of what Wells provoked me to that time at the BMS conference? And so I've been reading about that percentage of Jesus, God's life. But also Wells would talk about God's design for humanity and creation. If we go back to those early chapters of Genesis, what we find is that God creates a world for relationship, to be with. God created Eden so that he would be with humanity and his creation. There would be a relationship between God and humanity. There would be a relationship between humanity and humanity, man and wife, etc., etc., man and husband, husband and wife, man and, sorry, man and, you see, I say man and wife, and then you all say, you said wife there, it should be husband and wife and man and woman, and then it would be relationship between brothers and sisters, and it would go on. And relationship with the created order, naming the animals, etc., etc. That's the original design. That was the point. Let's go to the last chapters of the Bible. 
and we find how it's going to be. When the final redemption of all things happens, what is going to happen? It tells us that God is going to be with. A new city's coming out of heaven, the new Jerusalem. There's a book by Desi that would take you from this garden to that city if you want to look it up. And that city, when it comes out of the sky, God is going to be with his people. There's going to be relationship again restored between God and humanity, fully restored. Fully restored between human and human. Fully restored between human and the creation because there's a living river. There's got to be some other things growing. I don't know what Neville will pick up in his little bags on in heaven, but there will be relationship as... So that tells us God's intention. So when God came to earth, what did he come to do? The word became flesh and like a tent moved in among us. Relationship. It's all about being with. That is God's original intention. And Wells says in one of his books, I've read, I'm going between all three, there is no value in being unless it is being with. There is no value in being unless it is being with. There is no value in existence unless it is existence in relationship. Because that was God's design. That's God's final ultimate vision. 10-10, if we want to take the Fitzroy, John 10 and 10, in the design, if we want to live life in all its fullness according to Wells' incarnational theology, the model that Jesus gives is a model of heaven being with. Wells then, and I'm working this through in my head, but I see where he's coming from, tries to talk about how we got this offline. The enlightenment and science and technology was the first time in history when human beings could think beyond their mortality. Oh, we can fix this. We can make people live longer. We can do this and we can do that. And we can get over our limitations as human beings. And so for the last couple of 300 years, humanity has been on this drive to fix everything, to make everything better, to take the limitations we have as human beings and overcome those limitations. Let's build bridges. Let's go to the moon. Let's be able to text each other. Let's be able to talk to each other. I remember the days when we thought, could there really be a day when you would be on a phone and you would see the person you were talking to? Yes, I'm that old, Jasmine. Now we can do it. We've overcome all these limitations. We've got all these drugs that can keep us alive. We can do these amazing things. And they're all good. But they could have distracted us from God's point, which was not overcoming limitation or mortality. It was overcoming the real disease at the heart of our sinful humanity, which is isolation, loneliness, and alienation. And even the church, Wells would say, has been distracted from the original design the vision of God's design and the call of Emmanuel, God is with us. The gospel is about reconciliation. All kinds of reconciliation. Now, I don't want to be too long, but I want to explain to you for a moment or two that when I I discovered this over these last couple of three months, I suddenly realized that this had been going on within me for maybe over 20 years. 
Garth Graham's dad used to take me out when he was doing these McGee lectures outside of uh, Union College. We used to go out to presbyteries, and I, even in my early 30s, was still the youth dude. And I used to have to go out and explain to congregations, how can you get young people into your church? And I remember thinking, well, how do you do that? Well, it's not about drums, actually. It's not about even that much uh, stuff about changing whether you wear a tie or a clerical shirt during communion or whatever it is. And as I wrestled with what is the secret to being relevant in every generation, I got back to the secret of evangelism as I saw it. And the secret of evangelism as I see it are the words that Rose read for us earlier. The word became flesh and moved in among us. Relevance is being with. I reckon we're not going to try it because I don't have that much faith. But I reckon in the highest church liturgy in the country, it could be relevant if there was a community being with one another and being with their neighborhood. Being with. Baby in the manger. Baby in straw. The word became flesh. And because after that, I became what I dubbed myself the president of Christmas for all year round. Because I think the incarnation of the week around Christmas gets locked into that season and we don't sing any incarnational songs the rest of the year. If we wanted to sing about God coming to earth in one of the carols during the summer, you would all look at me and say, he's lost the plot. But the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us, The word becoming flesh and dwelling among us is not for a few weeks at the end of the year. It's for all year round. And then when we were going to Uganda and Janice kept saying, you know, the best thing is just to turn up. I went, you know, I think she's right, but I haven't theologized that. Sam Wells has written three books about just turning up, being with. And one of the things, and we'll come to this as we unravel the story, and keep your powder dry, some have been thinking about this week because there's a whole series ahead of us, but one little story to try and help you to see where my perspective change might have helped me in this. One story that I tell a lot, especially around December the 1st when it's HIV AIDS day, we went to visit Cindy who was dying of HIV AIDS. And let me tell you how it was and how Sam Wells wants to tear this apart. We went as the white saviors from the West with everything at our disposal to overcome the limitations and sicknesses and poverty of those poor people who don't have what we have and aren't like us and just haven't the kind of life we have because they don't have. That's how we went. Oh, we said we weren't, but we kind of did. And then we went to Cindy's room and Cindy was very clearly not going to be with us very long. I wanted to fix it. And all we did was pray And in that prayer, I've told many people, I sensed that God was with me and came through Cindy to me and the being with the least of these. That was one of the most powerful moments of meeting God was in the person who wasn't the white savior, who the white savior had come to see, but Cindy in some way saved me. But that's not what I learned this week. What I learned this week as I was preparing for this is if we go to be with rather than to fix If we go to be equal with the people we go to be with, whether that's in Safara or whether that's in Uganda or whether that's wherever we go, we see the people we go to be with as people to delight in, people made in the image of God, people who are sharing with us in our mutual poverty. 
And suddenly in the going, we get challenged. We get discipled. God challenges and speaks to us. He points back to us in our, we have everything at our disposal west, the problems that we need to deal with at the heart of us. So there's a photograph that Gordon Ashbridge took of Cindy. And I mentioned in a poem, there's posters on the wall. I don't know, I think he meant to get the posters in because that's the way Gordon takes photos. Beyonce posters are on the wall as this girl dies of HIV AIDS. And I'm thinking we're complicit in this because the West has sent to Africa all this stuff. But I didn't realize that I was again being ministered to because those posters in the wall were speaking to me about the deep isolation, alienation of the world that I live in. Being with, it has messed with my brain and my heart and my soul. And I think it has got something to say to all of us. Peacemaking. Father Martin and I at times just bang our heads off lecterns. What is happening at Stormont? Are they ever going to talk to each other? Can we bicker and bicker and bicker about everything we could bicker about? Are flags just to bicker about? Who's building the biggest bonfire? Who's going to be on that bonfire? After all these years of peace and all these years of reconciliation, why have we not fixed it? Well, says reconciliation is not replacing conflict with peace. It is about transfiguration of conflict into glory. True peace is not the absence of conflict but the transformation of the destructive tension into dynamic creativity. Oh, Martin and I want to fix it. God's calling us to be with. To be with. To be with the other. We'll look at that in the series. To be with those who in the past have maybe violently hurt or killed some of our people. The being with as Harold Good says, there's two stories. There's always going to be two stories. They're never going to blend. But we can have some sort of imaginative dynamic of creativity as we are with one another in the tensions of our past. I could go on, but I haven't the time. In Fitzroy this year, and we've been talking about this a little bit in session, and we'll talk about it probably more this week, we want to look at our pastoral care. Are we with each other enough when we need each other? Are we with each other enough? Are there ways that we could commission each one of us to be with the other as we go through life being with in times of difficulty? And mission, whether it's the homeless and the giving out of some of the clues, let's not just give them our clues, let's be with them the hungry in the food bank. Let's not just give out food, let's be with them. The lost in our society, the isolated, the alienated, the hopeless, most of them are longing for a relationship. God, Emmanuel, God with us. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. A final story that I've told before and I will tell again and again and again. It's the First World War. They're on the battlefield. They get back to the trenches after a particularly difficult um, battle on the battlefield. And one guy realizes that his best friend is out there 
lying on the field, very seriously injured. He says to his commander-in-chief, I'm going out there. He needs me. And his commander says, you're not going out there. You'll never make it to there. He's dead. He's going to die. You might kill yourself. There is no reason for you to go. I command you not to go. And the guy gets up out of the trench and he runs to his friend. And he takes his friend in his arms and his friend's last words to him before he dies are, I knew you would come. He didn't fix it. He couldn't fix it. But he was Emmanuel. God with us. That's the challenge. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you're with us. And we thank you that in a moment or two as we gather around this table, you will be with us tangibly in this bread and this wine, the mystery of the sacrament, where somehow as we remember you, you minister to us by the Holy Spirit and these very physical things. So we long for that, Lord. We long that in this communion, wherever we are in our lives at this moment in time, as we take this bread and as we drink this wine, that we would know in our lives right now that you are with us by our side. And then, Lord, help us to hear the call to go and be with those who are isolated and alienated and lost. Lord, fill us up in this communion so that you may send us out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.